Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. This is episode number 48. And if you're on iTunes or Spotify and you see there's actually only 40, 41, 42 episodes there, the reason is that the other episodes are over at patreon.com slash freelance duck And there's actually quite a bit of content over there of the North American Waterfowler Podcast, where sometimes I do special segments. I did one with Jake. I did it with Thomas. Um, where it's Patreon only. So go check that out. And don't forget, the Hunt Giveaway is coming up August 31st, 7 o'clock, on the YouTube live stream on Freelance Duck Hunting, where I am going to put everyone name, everyone's name who has entered on a wheel and spin it. And if your name comes up, you will come this year and hunt with me for a two-day hunt trip over the weekend. I'm not exactly sure of the location yet, but go and sign up for that. That is coming on fast. And I can tell you, this is year three for that. And the first two years have been a crazy, ridiculous amount of fun. The first year I had Matt Vachi on, who's actually going to be on again because he won the Patreon podcast giveaway as well. So he's going to be on here real soon within the next few weeks. And we're going to talk all about his giveaway hunt trip, but I can say day one with him and his friend Greg was pretty decent. It was fun. I did take them to my most secretive secret duckles. And then day two, though, was unbelievable. Just one of those hunts that sticks in your mind forever. One of those days where you could not go five seconds without looking around and seeing piles of ducks everywhere flying. I mean, it was something, something special. So, patreon.com slash freelance. Get signed up now. 
whatever level you enter on over there at Patreon, that's the number of entries you're going to get. So get on over there. I just actually posted some content over there today, a little extra. Um, I had Thomas Hope, who now if you listen to the podcast, you've heard two episodes of him. I had him break down an argument that old Jordan Fromer and I had had on the Duck Gun podcast, probably our most <laughs> fervent argument about wood ducks. And so I had Thomas play mediator. And um, yeah, it was pretty interesting, pretty interesting. So today I'm going to give you some freelance duck hunting updates. I've got a comment of the week, and then we've got Woody back on here for episode number 10. And I will say also on Patreon, Woody's going to come back on there. We I record my Woody segments in batches. With, so I'll have Woody on and we'll record like five segments at a time so that I just have them to use uh, just it's it, because they're shorter segments. So it just makes more sense logistically to do it that way. And if you come over to Patreon, then um, you are going to hear or you will have the opportunity when I have Woody on to be in the audience and actually watch the video version of me and Woody going through those episodes. So if you are a Woody fan, every time we record, you will get the video version of that. You can come and watch it live. So it's pretty, pretty entertaining stuff. So today, this is Saturday. It's been raining like crazy, which is good because we want as much rain as we can possibly get. And this day has just given me the bug to get out scouting some more. And so I feel another scouting trip coming on very, very soon. I just start getting this feeling rise up in my chest is the best way to, to describe it, where I've got to be in a marsh. I've got to be there. And so this day of just kind of overcast, rainy, it's a little cooler than they predicted. Not cool, but a little cooler than they predicted. And it's I'm getting that feeling. <laughs> I can feel it rising. And where am I going to go scout? I don't know. I've got a couple of different options, a couple of different places. I'm trying to hold off on the scoutings because there's definitely two places that I want to get eyes on for teal. But I don't want to do it too soon. I want to do that late August, right, like the final before teal season scout. So I'm kind of trying to control myself and not go too early because um, I don't think once I go, I'm probably not going to return to them. So anyway, my update, and let me see, this video is coming out. Oh, when this video comes out, actually all three of these episodes are going to be available on YouTube where I took Georgie, my black lab from Flatlander Kennels, to um, entered in HRC finished hunt tests. And so this year, the goal was to title her and finished. And that's the highest level of HRC that qualifies you to get to go to the Grand, which is like the Super Bowl of the HRC hunt test, where they only do it twice a year. Only about 25% of the dogs pass it. A big, big, big deal. And so in order for her to qualify to get to go to the Grand and become a Grand Hunting Retriever champion, you have to get your finished title. So last, um, let's see, today's Saturday on yeah Thursday, no, Wednesday, I posted my first HRC hunt test video from Wyoming, Boomtown, Casper, Wyoming. It's the Boomtown HRC club. And so I really like that video. I like how we did it. We used drones. And it's just a cool video. And this Monday, um, I guess already this is coming out Thursday. So this will have already been out. Um, the day two out there at Casper of Georgie's hunt test. and then. Today, on Thursday, the last video of the three-part series of Georgie's quest for her hunting retriever championship title 
comes out. And um, I just really, really love these videos. I love how they feel. Um, now, dog videos on, on YouTube, at least when I put them out, don't tend to do all that well. But I just love making these videos. I love putting them out. So if you have not checked those out, guys, make sure to go to the YouTube channel, Freelance Duck Hunting, and check out those videos because I'm really proud of them, worked hard on them. Um, I think I think it's it's certainly memory for me that I will always go back and look on as Georgie and I go through um, the HRC hunt test circuit or whatever you want to call it. And then we'll move over to AKC next year. So I'm not even sure whether to give it away or not. I, I guess I'll go ahead. I guess I'll go ahead and talk about it. So Georgie did get her title, her finished title, and we went to South Dakota she passed both of her days in Boomtown. We went to South Dakota and we had two days, Saturday and Sunday. And so Georgie had to pass one of those two days. And on like, so on Saturday, you will have a water test and a land test. Water test is three marks in a blind. Land test is three marks in a blind. So they have to pass both of those morning and afternoon in order to get their ribbon. So Saturday, Georgie did pass that test. And she has been just honestly almost flawless on these hunt tests. I'm so proud of this little dog. So she did get her finished title and it was a little interesting, little interesting twist right on the end of it. So morning was land and she went through that and had zero issues. I mean, she was perfection other than being a little bit whiny on the line, but she was perfect. So we got into the afternoon and it was this um, little water setup where the marks went from um, see middle, right, and then left. So she picked up the left bird. It was on a peninsula. She had to go through the water. She picked that up, brought that back over. The next bird was on the far right. And the gun where the bird comes out of for the um, bird two and three were pretty close together. They were kind of on this little shoreline with a little peninsula. And this bird went up and landed right in right on the water. So as the peninsula hits the land, you've got a little like V there of water. Um, so the shoreline's coming and then it goes out to the peninsula and the bird landed right there in some old dead cattails. And to the left of that were the two stations where the birds come flying out right there together. And so I had said in my mind, uh, if she's going and it looks like she's going to get into that area where they call them the guns, where the birds come flying out of the little station, I am not going to let her run all around in there. On these tests, for a given day, out of the three marks where the birds come out of the wingers, you get to use your whistle and handle your dog one time out of those six marks. And I've never had to handle Georgie ever on a mark. But on this one, I'm like, okay, this is our last our last little series here in water. If she passes this, she gets her title. And she's already picked up one mark, so she's got two left. And in my mind, I'm like, if she goes to the left of this bird, gets up on land, and looks like she's going into that area where both of those blinds are, where they th the wingers are, they've got birds in there. There's another hunt area with a bird on the peninsula. I'm like, I am not letting her get into that. And so in my mind, I'm like, if she comes out to the left of that bird and she looks like she's heading in to that area, I'm going to use my whistle. I'm going to stop her. I'm going to bring her back and bring her right into it because I did not want her getting into that area. And that's exactly what took place. I was watching her head and she looked to the left of the bank and she just started curving that way. She got out of the bank. I'm still watching because I'm thinking maybe she'll come whip back around right to the bird. And she didn't. She looked over to the left and she started heading right to the blinds, hit that whistle. She sat just perfectly. I gave her three tweets to bring her back a little ways um, closer 
to the area of the fall. And then I gave her a right over and she took it beautifully right into the water, picked that bird up. It was just masterful. She swam it all the way back to me. And now that left one mark for her. And I'm like, okay, because you're always in your mind on these things. Like, all right, I've got my handle. And, and so on the marks, you're kind of feeling okay. If you have your handle, if you don't have your handle left, it's like either they find it or they don't. And if they don't find it, you're out. And so I'm nervous about it. She went straight through the water, straight to the peninsula, got on the land, boom, got it, brought it back, finished the blind for her title. So it was just wonderful. I mean, when I started down this line of hunt test stuff, uh, my dad did it 20 years ago with his dog. And I just never really went. I was never really into it. And as I started training Georgie, I thought, you know, maybe this would be fun just to see if I can do this. Let's see how far Georgie and I can get. Let's see if I can prove to myself and to Chris Jobman that I've done a good job with this dog. And I remember talking to my dad and I was just like, well, I don't know. I'm hoping we can get her to finish level. I hope I will just wait and see. We'll just take it a day at a time. And she, she just breezed through it. Now I had a ton of help from my friend Cole, my friend Jacob, um, Ed, who's got a property we train on. Chris Jobman gave me tons of help. So I've had lots and lots of support more than I would say your average amateur guy. I mean, going and spending 10 plus days at Flatliner kennels, having Chris Jobman stand right behind me and coach me was invaluable, obviously, but it's just been such a pleasure to be a part of this HRC community, getting to meet all these people to have success and to get this finished title. It's really, really meaningful to me, quite honestly. And so we're going to jump over to AKC next year but i'm thinking now i mean georgie's four which you know a lot of dogs my friend cole's dog delta she's got her hrc title she's only two so i've taken a long time to do it i have had like five or six scratches over the last three summers which a scratch is when you have to pull out of the event for whatever reason so that did slow us down for sure but um you know i've just taken my time and at this point i want to try to run georgie in the grand at some point i don't know when that's going to be it's a big event and if you want to hear more about like the grand and all that stuff, my other podcast is the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. I'm like the producer co-host. Chris is the content. But if you want to get, if you're a dog guy and you're not listening to that podcast, please, you're going to want to listen to it because the information over there is just incredible. It's just incredible. So I think that Georgie's going to be at some point, she's going to be in the grand. And <laughs> that just is so, no, I didn't say she's going to pass the grand, did I? <laughs> I could enter her anytime now that she's got her finished title, but I think that by the time it's all said and done, she's going to have a realistic chance to, to pass the grant. I really, really do. Um, I know we've got a lot of work to do. Um, I know that we're not there yet, but she's got all the talent in the world and I've got all the resources around me to get it done. So I'm excited. I'm excited about that. I just wanted to tell you guys about it because it was really, really meaningful for me and, I'm just so, so excited about it. So let's, let's go ahead now before we get into Woody's and let's go ahead and do the comment of the week. It's time for comment of the week. All right. This comment of the week comes from Jeremy Ragsdale and he sent me a message on Instagram and this is a little bit long, so bear with me. Uh, podcast question for you. You're always talking about that hunt for the Southeast zone opener that you went to a really crowded marsh. I assume, and I'm not going to say the names because he um, was mentioning the names that he thinks that where it was. And you say that you were still able to get your limit. 
You should talk some about how you were able to deal with the pressure of that opening day and still find a spot with low pressure and get your limit. Like what was going through your head when you pulled up there and there were 1 million people there and how did you navigate and find the spot you wanted to set up? So um, I will say this came from Instagram and those of you that have questions and if you would like to have the opportunity to have your question read on or your comment read on comment of the week, you can get a hold of me on Facebook or Instagram at Freelance Duck Hunting or email me at Freelance Duck Hunting. I'm sorry, freelance duck hunting at gmail.com. So let me flush out this in case you haven't heard me talk about this hunt, which I have referenced it multiple times, especially when we're talking about people complaining about there being too much pressure in Kansas. So this was an opener last um, year, the late opener in the Southeast zone. And that area of the state is a heavily, heavily trafficked area. And there have been times in which that I've hunted that area on the the late split opener or even just during that last segment. And there are just so many people there that it's very, very difficult to ha- have a good hunt. But on this particular day, uh, I did have a really, really good hunt. In fact, I shot my limit within about 30, 40 minutes. And then I had my friend Cole and his brother join me. And I think it took us quite a while to get them their limit. Some of the conditions just changed a little bit, but we ended up with one duck away from a, from a three man limit. And so Jeremy is wanting me to explain kind of how I was able to get myself in that situation in such, in such a crowded area. And I would say that certainly part of it was based on the equipment that I had and my thought process during all of it. But I I would be lying if I, if, if I said that part of it wasn't just a little bit of luck as well, because I've been out there at times where I haven't been able to get away from people. So, but I, I definitely put myself in a position to be able to navigate the other hunters that are at the marsh and still feel like, I was kind of on my own and shoot my limit of birds right in the decoys. In fact, this is my, this was my last hunt video last year on the freelance suck on YouTube channel. So if you go to my YouTube page over there and you look through the season eight playlist, I believe this is the last hunt on there. If I'm not mistaken, uh, if you want to see that. So on this hunt, I wasn't sure what I was going to do that morning. I, I, Jake and Aiden, were hunting in a different area and they had a gang of guys like seven or eight. And I just didn't want to mess with that. Uh, but I ha- had some options and I had the luxury of going out a little bit late. Now Cole and his brother were out there early. So they were actually relaying me information. And many times we'll talk about your calling network or your network of, of scouters. And this is just another example of having a network that really, really is helpful and provides you scouting information. So Cole and his brother were going out there really, really early. And he had said, you know, he'll, he'll keep me posted on whether there's ducks there, whether there's not ducks there. Cause I didn't even know, I figured there would be a bunch of ducks there, but I didn't have any confirmed reports. So he and his brother about, I'd say right around sun up, I got a text from them and I was all locked and loaded, ready to go hunting. Uh, and, but I was just waiting to hear from them. So I got a text from Cole. He said, man, there's birds everywhere. There's also hunters everywhere, but there's birds everywhere. So I, I hopped in the truck and I took off and went. So I was probably showed up there a couple of hours after sunup. And my idea here 
was to just take my time. I knew there was a lot of birds at this time of year in January. When there's a lot of birds or mallards, they, they normally fly all day long. So it's not like a rush to get things done quickly. So I was really, really patient when I showed up there and I drove. I've got one, two, three areas out there at this complex that I have hunted and feel good about. So I, I went through a progression. I looked at A, I looked at B, I looked at C. And I'm, these aren't the names of the pools. I'm option A, B, and C. And really sat there for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes at each place. What are the birds doing? Where are the people? Where could I get in? First place I stopped, there was a place I really, really liked. And by now it was about 1030. Uh, there was a place I really, really liked, but there was a group in there and they were shooting birds. We were seeing them shooting birds. So one of my options was to just wait until that group cleared out and come in behind them. I went to option B and really it was the same thing. Uh, there was, oh, there was a couple, I'd say three or four groups out there. And there was one spot where I really liked, I saw a couple birds go in on this guy. He was in there with his layout boat. Same thing. I'm like, well, maybe I'll just wait here for this guy. Maybe I'll just wait here for this guy to come out and follow him back in. He was actually hunting by himself. And so uh, then I went to my third option, really looked carefully at it and everything. I wasn't quite sure about that option. Didn't look quite as good. So then I traveled back to B option. And I really kind of decided I wanted to try to come in after this guy that was hunting by himself in the layout boat. Because, again, I saw several really nice flocks circling him and one nice flock go right in on him. And so um, I went to a different parking lot, waited there for a second, went back. That guy was actually walking out. And I was a little, little slow on it because as he was walking out, there was another group that was trying to run in and take his spot. So I missed that spot completely. And so I was a little disappointed because had I been a little more patient there, I could have, I could have gotten right in there and gotten that spot. So I went back to that, that third option. I scouted it some more. I was just taking my time. I was not going to rush at going in. And there was a couple of guys that were coming out at the boat ramp. I went down, talked to them. And a lot of times, if you're really nice to guys at the boat ramps like that, and they're going out, they'll give you some pretty good information. And so they had shot in their limit. And on this morning, there was a decent amount of ice cover and they had been actually the ones that had broken the ice to go out there. And so they were coming out, coming out at the time. And so I thought, well, um, I know where they were. And I had with me my H 12 kayak. And I've on that, I've got the Northern flight blind on there for concealment. And I knew where they were going. And the thing that was helpful about where they were, is that it was way out in the middle of this big pool and there wasn't much cover out there. So walk-in hunters were not going to be able to get in close to where I was. Now, this was an area you could put boats on and surface drives on, but typically if someone has a, a long tail or a surface drive, those guys are a lot less likely to set up close to you because it's so easy for them to move around. Normally when you get set up close on, it's walk-in guys that have just busted their butt to get somewhere. They've walked all the way in and they're like, I've done all this work. I'm just, I got to find some place to set up. Being willing to walk out is really, really difficult to do, but being willing just to boat out is not difficult to do. And actually that happened at this spot. So I talked to those guys. They told me where they were and there was probably five other groups at this pool. So this pool was, you know, getting a decent amount of pressure. 
And so I got, I got in my kayak and I just started paddling and it was still pretty icy, but they had made this little, you know, they had made a little boat trail. They, they both had layout boats with, I believe long tails on them. So I followed their path and I got out to this little section that happened to have a little bit of cover. Some of which I think that these guys had brought in. And so it was just a little ice hole and I set up there and it was just a great spot. There was another group about 350 yards away in a boat line. And they were, they actually didn't go in very, very um, much before I did. I saw them going in and they were the whole time I'm traveling in there's these guys in this boat line, they're decoying them right in and putting them on the water and killing them. And so by the time I was set up and, and ready to hunt, they already had their three man limit and they were boating out. So now at that point, there was no one within 500 yards of me. I could see some of the guys and hear some other guys a little bit, but it was a long ways away. And so I had that little spot and it was perfect just for one or two guys. Got it done, shot my limit. Then when Cole and his brother came in, um, it was warming up. And when you get a day when you've got mostly ice on a pool and you have a little bit, you've broken a hole or there's a little natural hole or whatever, from the time it goes from little ice holes to no ice, the ducks are going to change. At least in my experience, the ducks typically change what they're doing. And that's kind of what happened to Cole and his brother and I, that by the time they got in there, um, the hole was expanding. Other holes was opening up on the complex, uh, on this pool. And so the hunting became harder to to finish them off with Cole and his brother there. But that, that was the situation. So number one, it was having the right equipment to get out to that spot. A walk-in hunter couldn't have got out there. Number two, I think there's a lot of times that showing up a little bit late because Titus talked about this when I had him on there, showing up a little bit late, seeing where everyone is and then filling yourself in there. Because if you go in early, my, my thing has always been go as early as possible and get the spot. And then as people walk in, try to go and talk to them and, and hopefully keep a buffer around you of at least 200 yards. Nicely talk to them. Because a lot of times when guys sit up, it's hard in the dark when you have a flashlight and you're seeing other flashlights know how far it is. It's really, really hard. So when I see someone in the dark and I've got a spot and I think that they're within 300, even sometimes 400 yards, I will walk right to them and just have to talk. And that way, hey, I'm right over here about this far. Give them some ideas. Maybe, hey, sit up there. That will be farther apart. Let's not call each other's birds. You know, just really kind of discuss it like that. It's really, really effective. But Titus was saying what he does a lot of times, and this is kind of what I did here, is you get there later, you let everyone else get in and find their spot, and then you go to where you know you're not crowded away. You get to pick. Now, that doesn't work if you just have an X that you want to get to. If you just have an X and you got to get to it. But a lot of times, like this, I hadn't really scouted this place. I'd hunted it a bunch before, but I hadn't been there the, the whole year. So it was better for me to go during the daylight and, and attack it in that manner. Um, so having the equipment, having the patience to not just rush in talking to people um, at the boat ramp. I'd say, I would say that all of those are the reasons that I was able to even on such a crowded day, get in there and be successful. And it was very, very lucky that those guys just happened to be coming out at the right time. And it was lucky that they were able to talk with me and give me some information. So definitely some, some luck was involved in it as well. So there you go. That was the comment of the week. Um, we are now going to take a quick break. I'm going to play this song for you. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I love this song. This is Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen. 
So listen to this one for a little bit, and then we will be right back. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Everybody knows the captain lied. Everybody got this broken feeling. Like their father or their dog just died. Everybody talking to their pockets. Everybody wants a box of chocolate and a long stem rose. Everybody knows. All right. Thank you for coming back. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Don't forget patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting for hunt giveaway extra content, extra North American waterfowler, extra freelance duck hunting. Come join me on the podcast. Just a lot of stuff going on over there. Multiple tiers that you want to jump in at. So go and check that out and come join me for all those chances, specifically for a chance to come and hunt here in Kansas with me. So let's go ahead and get into episode 10 of Woody's top five. All right, boys, let's get this wrapped up so we can get back to hunt. It's Woody's. Woody, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready to go tonight. Yep. Everything doing good with you and your family today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think everything's going pretty good. Now, uh, I told you a while back I had Miss Larnetta critique my podcast with you and she told me i got all worked up on that one i've tried to tone it back a little bit but now the last one she said i i got a little pokey she said you you was you just trying to raise a little cane wasn't you and i said no nah, i wasn't necessarily trying to, to to ruffle no feathers but but uh I'm, i may have i may have got a little jab here and there but if you, you know all right that's you know what they say only a only a hit dog yelps so if it, you know, if the shoe fits, I hope it hurts. All right. Anyhow. Tonight, I've not heard that expression before. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, tonight I've got the top five nicknames for shovelers. Now, right. out here, we call them a spoonbill shoveler. And we don't even, we just leave them alone. We don't, I, I can't hardly stand the thought to look at one. But anyhow, I, I hear a lot of fellers out there especially in the Midwest and out in that old Titus feller out there in California. They do these shoveler stuff. They really like shooting them spoonbill shovelers. So anyhow, here we go. Number five, the top five shoveler nicknames is the boot lip. Now I don't really understand exactly what that means or why they call them a boot lip. But I also, when I look at one, I kind of get it. I don't know where that name comes from, but I can look at it and think, yeah, that kind of a boot lip. I don't. Do you understand? Do you have any insight on why they call them a boot lip? No, not, I, other than other than like their bill looks like the heel of a boot. 
that, so it's rounded maybe i don't that, know that could be i i do not get it but again like i said when somebody says a boot lip duck you don't think about a canvas back you immediately think oh yeah that's a spoonbill supplement all right number f- kind of nasty birds are just kind of gross birds I mean, oh, I wish well, i'll I- say what i when i think they're gross is when you get the eclipse males that are kind of halfway, they're just yeah. really dirty looking. Yes, yeah, sir. You yeah. get a nice plume one like like they'll shoot in California. They're, they're but they're just not appealing looking birds. They are so, not. That is for sure. All right, number four, the top five shoveler nicknames is the collagen teal. Now I reckon the collagen teal nickname comes from. Uh, the fact that they kind of look like some of them Kardashian girls or something with them <laughs> big old fluffed up lips of theirs. But anyway, uh, number three is just people call them the spoony. Spoony. Lord have mercy. Like I said, where we're from, we call them a spoonbill shoveler, but I can think of a lot worse, I reckon. Uh, number two. Now. This one here, I ain't never heard. There was a fella that I ran into a while back, and we was talking about it. He said, where I'm from, we call them goonies. And I I said, a goonie? He said, yeah, we call them goonies, because the only place you see them where we're from is in the trailer park lagoons. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, that makes good sense to me. I'm going to throw that in the list. So. And then the number one. Now, this one here, I, I think I've told you this story probably before, but oh, Lim. Did I tell you about the limb shooting the spoonbill shovelers at the sewer plant? Yes. I think I've told you about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, so this one here, uh, I made this one up. I'm not going to lie to you, Elliot. But I think if it, if people, I think it would stick. In, in honor of our buddies up there in Canada listening in, I th- you know, they, they speak French up there in Canada instead of okay. English like a regular Americans. Uh, in honor of and our Canadian brothers in arms up there, Number one, the top five shoveler nicknames is Mallard's Lassure. Mallard's Lassure. <laughs> and I think if you interpret that over, that means Mallard's that eat turds. I think that's what that means. <laughs> Anyhow, there's your number one of the top five shoveler nicknames. Now, Elliot, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I, I, as much trouble as I, and as much as I make fun of spoonbill shovelers, I, I did indeed shoot a spoonbill shoveler at one point. I, I was a little trigger happy that day, and I hadn't seen much, and I was hunting by myself. Lim wasn't with me. Lim's, Lim's a lot better at identifying ducks on the wing than I am. I seen a duck come zipping in there over the hole, and I thought maybe it was a I thought maybe it was a teal or something, or maybe a, a wood duck that had been in an accident or something. Well, I was, I was just a little bit desperate that day, and I raised up and shot it, and it fell right out there in the decoys. And when I went and picked it up, I was embarrassed to take the thing back to the truck. I was afraid somebody was going to see me. So I, I started to stuff it down inside my waders, but then when I got it up close to me, I could smell it. It smelled just like the sewer plant. Mm-hmm. So... I took it home. I'm I'm embarrassed to admit it. I took it home. Miss Larnetta said, what in the world happened to that duck? I said, honey, I don't have any idea what's wrong with it. I said, I, I said, I think it's a, I, I couldn't even tell her. I couldn't bear to tell her it was a North American shoveler. I didn't want to try to explain it all to her. I just said, honey, I think it's a hybrid. I think it's a hybrid of a, it's a, 
Well, it's a pelican mallard hybrid. That's what I told her. <laughs> Anyhow, she wouldn't let me eat it. I went ahead and I cleaned it and cooked it and I gave it to the cat. That's I just, I, but I ain't never shot one since. It's been a long time. Well, I'll shoot them every now and then on slow days, but I'd rather not. I will say this, though, in retrospect. Um, that was in January of that year. I remember it very clearly. You don't make mistakes like that and forget about them. Anyhow, it it was a very... Oh, Lord, I can't... You're going to have to help me with this one, Jesus. It was a pretty bird. It was very pretty. It was fully plumed out and didn't have all them black and white speckles on him and stuff. He looked really... Uh, it was a, a good-looking specimen. I will say that about it. Not yeah, enough I'd ever want to shoot another ones. one. We, I will see the fully plumed ones like that in April. That's the only time here in yeah. Kansas that we see them is on the way back through. I mean, if someone in Kansas shoots one and says that it's really pretty and you really look at it, it's nothing compared to full plume. It's like pretty ones in Kansas are still like six, only 60, 65% plumed. We just don't get them. Yeah. 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 I'd shoot them if we did because they are beautiful when they're all plumed out. They are a beautiful bird for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, ain't pretty enough for me to shoot them, but anyhow, yeah. <laughs> that's your top five Spoonbill right. Shoveler names. Uh, All right, well, thank you for coming on here and giving us a little bit of your time. Hey, anytime you just time, you, this... you give me a call. All right, sorry. Until next time, this has been another episode of Woody's Top Five. All right, that is another episode of Woody's Top Five. Remember. Patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. Get involved in that hunt giveaway and all of that extra content. That's all I have for you today. I'm going to roll you back out with a little bit more of that song from Leonard Cohen. Everybody knows because it is just it's such a cool song. Until next time, you have listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Everybody knows that you love me, baby. Everybody knows that you do. Everybody knows that you've been faithful. I'll give or take a night or two. Everybody knows you've been discreet, but there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes. And everybody Everybody knows the deal is rotten. Oh.
Black Joe still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows. And everybody knows. And everybody knows that the plague is coming. Everybody knows that it's moving fast. Everybody knows that the naked man and woman are just a shining artifact of the past. Everybody knows the scene is dead, but there's gonna be a meter on your bed that will disclose what everybody knows. Everybody knows that you're in trouble. Everybody knows what you've been through. From the bloody cross on top of Calvary to the beach of Malibu. Everybody knows it's coming upon. Take one last look at this sacred heart before it blows. And everybody knows. Everybody 